Good morning to you. How's everyone doing this morning? We had a great morning yesterday at the Lodge in Syracuse. It was a chance for us to, to serve our volunteers, and it was just fun, uh, be quite frank. It was fun to see your smiling faces, watching all the kids and adults sled down the hills. There must have been 50 to 100 people sled riding. Uh, had some fires going, which is always good, uh, and we had some fun pancakes, but just doing life together. Uh, even today, as I look out across and see your faces, it's good to see faces. It's good to see you here with us. And I would say this, as we walk through this series of Run It Back, what we're doing is we're looking back over the past two years, and we're, we're asking ourselves this question, what have I learned from the past that I want to say in the future, this is what I've learned and this is how I'll do it differently or this is what I need to remember from the past. I would say as we look back, one of the primary things that we would say is it's good to gather together. It's just it. It's just good to be together. And, and if you were with me in that journey and you were part of a local church and maybe this was your church, hopefully it was, there were Sundays, for five Sundays only, uh, praise God for that, where I stood here and um, I preached to the worship team in an empty auditorium, gave it my best that I could give. My wife was here and some, some wives of other family members, and, but it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't. God didn't design the church to be a virtual community only. He designed it for us to meet together. Your best future, my best future, is in our deepest relationships with each other. That's your best relationship, and it happens doing community together. Today is a new day. We aren't promised tomorrow, um, and um, I'm reminded of that more. Even today, I texted my uh, next sister up. I have three sisters, love all of them, and she turned 62 today. She responded back, man, Jimmy, we're getting old. I said, we're the new cool old, by the way. <laughs> it was just fun to think about having three sisters that are in, we're all in our 60s. My brother is um, uh, 55. But, but hopefully these messages, as you're walking through them with me, will cause you and me to hit the pause button and ask this question. What did God teach us? What was he trying to teach us? Hopefully last week you listened or part of last week's message because it's a setup for today. But what was he trying to teach us? And like I said last week, if we haven't learned it, he'll keep giving us the test until we've mastered it, until we understand what he wanted us to learn. God has wired us for community and longs for us to do life together. Let me say this. Face to face, eyeball to eyeball, hand-to-hand, -hand, physical touch-to-physical physical touch. More than anything, we need physical touch in our world. And, and if we look back, a lot of people lost physical touch over the past two years. And there was a, a study done in a story that a king did many years ago, a ruler did in the 13th century. And listen to this in regards to physical touch. Positive touch nurtures and nourishes our very being and is essential to our emotional and physical health, this author writes. Yet sadly, there is currently so much negative talk and fear about touch. We are becoming an increasingly touch-starved society. 
It starts way back in the 13th century when there ruled an extremely inquisitive emperor, Frederick IV. Frederick loved to make up experiments and believing that the Romans were a superior race, devised an experiment to prove it. Thinking that it left to our own devices, humans would naturally speak Latin, thus proving that Romans were indeed superior. Frederick collected hundreds of infants and instructed that these babies were not to be touched, cuddled, or even talked to, just fed and clothed. Sadly, his experiment didn't quite go to the plan that he had hoped. Tragically, all these infants failed to thrive and died before they ever got to speak. It turns out that touch is one sense that babies can't live without. Sadly, there are similar, more modern-day stories of babies, the author says, who deprived of touch are at best, best growing up with huge developmental damage and an aggressive personality and, at worst, are dying. Following the Second World War in one UK orphanage, there was reportedly a lady named Anna who used to pick up babies that were failing to thrive, sit with them in a rocking chair, and as she rocked, she would gently rub the babies up and down their backs. These babies began to thrive. Since the research has gathered and is still being gathered, in 1986, Tiffany Fields published studies on the benefits of preterm babies being touched. Preemies who are massaged for 15 minutes three times a day for 10 days gained 47% more weight, went home a week earlier than babies who were routinely handled, and likewise, full-term babies who were massaged for 15 minutes a day cried less, were more alert, gained weight faster, were more socially engaged, had lower levels of stress hormones. Other studies show that the more positive touch a child receives, the higher their self-esteem. And the higher a child's self-esteem, the more they achieve academically. We can all recognize, the author says, that soothing touch reduces stress and promotes relaxation. What we don't all know is that the more we are positively touched, hugged, the more antibodies we produce and the stronger our immune system becomes. Whether giving or receiving touch, touch stimulates the production of an extraordinary hormone and the chemical messenger called oxytoxin. God has designed us to be in community with each other to touch. Okay, reach out and touch someone right now. <laughs> If you got, turn around, come on, turn around. If you have to reach across, just touch someone. Give them a high five. There you go. Single dudes, that was your chance. <laughs> but let's face it, touch is important. And more than ever in our world, touch is trying to be stolen from us. And if you're not very aware, the enemy's main purpose is to isolate us. And once we're isolated, we don't realize that we can go on, and we lose the ability to fight. David understood this, I believe, as well and maybe better than anyone 
when it came to deep friendships and the importance of having someone close in his corner. And because of this friendship that he had, face to face, elbow to elbow, back to back, eyeball to eyeball, touch to touch, his life was transformed. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and we ask you to stand in our auditoriums as we read this together. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 to 9. Would you stand with me, please, as we read this together? 1 Samuel 20, verses 1 to 9. By the way, Jeremy, touch, brother, right here, man, high five, all right. I feel much better. I feel that oxycup just released in me. Let's read verses 1 through 9. Ready? Read. Then David fled from Neroth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. But as for you, show kindness to your servant. For you have brought him a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? You may have a seat. Unbelievable context. David and Jonathan find themselves in a precarious situation. David has been anointed to be king. Saul doesn't want him to be king. David, or Jonathan, is the son of Saul, who in Saul's mind is the next up to be king. But we know from the story that God wants David to be king. David feels threatened by Saul because Saul is trying to take his life. So he goes to the, his, his friend's corner and says, you got to help me. you got to make sure that you protect my back. And because of this deep friendship, they began to devise this plan so that David wouldn't be killed by Saul. Belonging and community strengthen your resolve to fully live. Let me just repeat that for a moment. Belonging and community strengthens your resolve to fully live. Because David had a friend in Jonathan, this community that he observed and shared with him not only community, they belong together. And because of that, it gave him the, not only the unction, but the physical protection to fully live. We are designed to live together. Things go south mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally in isolation. 
God created us to be relational. I want you to listen to some of these verses that kind of describe what I'm saying. Genesis 2.18, right in the beginning, as soon as we open up our Bible, God said this, It is not good for man to be alone. Oh, on so many levels, that's so true. It is not good for man <laughs> to be alone. And so what did he do? He brought a helpmate in Eve. Right away, God said, it's not good. You need someone to do life together with. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 tells us two are better than one. If one falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls down and has no one to pick them up. We're supposed to have someone in our corner doing life with, and we have the ability to help each other out. Proverbs 27, 17, you might have memorized this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When you pull into isolation, you don't have accountability. You don't have face-to-face -face interaction. And when you lose that face-to-face -face interaction, and when you pull yourself out of meetings and groups and fellowships, you soon, listen, when you're not there, out of sight, out of mind, quickly happens. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the author says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. John 1, 12 says this. Just listen to John 1, 12. It says, Jesus became flesh and made his home among us. He became flesh and blood and came to live with us. One translation says, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhoods. God didn't text us. He didn't send us Facebook Live videos. He came and lived with us, and he looked people in the eyes. He sat and ate with them. He is with us. Aren't you grateful that we have a God that's with us wherever we go? Touch comes before sight, before speech. It's the first language and last, and it will always tell the truth. In each of these passages, they stress that we must do life together, not do life in isolation. There are so many articles on how the, the detrimental impact on isolation. And, and you can read article after article after article, and I've read many over the last two years. But this one really stuck out to me, the effects of pulling away and not gathering together. It says, acceptable social behavior and engaging in social interaction is essential in every child's development. As I look back over the past two years, there have been times I have grieved, I have wept at everything that was canceled for kids. How they were pulled away and longing to gather together. And I continue to pray, Lord, please get them back together. We worked hard here at Grace Community Church, and I say this to the, the value, and you can speak highly of your leaders. We were the first church to open up gatherings here, not because we wanted to prove something, but we realized we must meet together, and children must meet together. But listen to this article. A acceptable social behavior and engaging in social interaction is essential in every child's development. 
However, due to the pandemic that had included quarantines and sporadic lockdowns, many children were being denied those fundamental social interactions that are so vital to the well-being and healthy development that can significantly impact a child's future. For example, studies have shown that socially isolated children's academic performances seems and tends to be inferior. They find themselves to be part of a less advantaged social class. When a person is not able to sufficiently interact socially, this can result in experiencing social isolation. Healthy social relationships are vital to the importance of health. Loneliness is linked to people experiencing high levels of stress. The primary function of the human stress response is to protect that person from danger perceives somewhere in the environment. Since social interaction is a fundamental human need, being socially isolated causes the automatic nervous system to become activated as the social deprivation is perceived as threat. When natural stress response is activated, the brain releases multiple hormones to alert the body so that it can jump into action to do what is necessary to protect itself from danger. Releasing these hormones places the entire system on guard and forces the person to remain vigilant until the perceived danger and threat of harm has passed. While meant to be protective, the incessant release of these hormones cannot be maintained indefinitely. Releasing these hormones without respite will eventually tax the system with negative consequences. It has been shown that when the body is stuck in this active stress response over an extended period, a person is at higher risk of developing cardiovascular disease, elevated blood pressure, infectious illness, cognitive deterioration, and even mortality. Aside from the physiological problems created by increased stress levels, socially isolated children have been shown to have other problems as well. Studies on social isolation have revealed that a lack of social relationships can impair the development of the child's brain structure. God has designed us to do life in community. Eyeball to eyeball, face to face, touch to touch, voice to voice. And as I look here today, I am so glad you're here to experience that. There's nothing like the gathering together on a Sunday morning. The most common cause of living below our redemptive potential is that we have chosen to walk alone rather than walk together. Do you realize that after a man is at the age of 30, he never gets another new friend? If a man doesn't have friendships before 30 and doesn't intentionally put himself in community with other men where he reduces that circle, he will go the rest of his life without another friend. That breaks my heart to think about that. Yet men do it all the time. They pull away, they isolate, and God has designed them for community. We have way too many people who have chosen to live in isolation. Flesh and blood communities confront us in our real world. We must make sure that our virtual communities are not defining what real love is. Let me just say this, and I mean this as tenderly and kindly as I can be mean. 
Likes, loves, retweets, and emojis are not real love. Did you hear me? That's not real love. It's a form of love. It's not real love. Online is only meant to be a temporary option, not a replacement for real community. God has designed us to live life together. How many of you, let me just ask a question. As I look back, and this is what I've observed, hopefully I'm learning this too. How many of you are just plain exhausted by trying to keep up with all the information on social media? Come on, how many? It's like, and how many of you almost feel guilty if you don't pray or you didn't see a post or it, it slid you by? How many of you have had imposed guilt placed upon you because you didn't respond? There is always some huge revelation on social media, some huge sickness, a joy, an adventure, a prayer concern. And then the shame that's tossed on you because you don't like or you don't love or you didn't put praying hands in the comment section. It leaves us with nothing for people who are truly around us because we've got consumed with the screen. David feels threatened. He didn't run to social media. He called his friend. He talked to him face to face. He had built a relationship, and they spent time together. Jonathan was in line to receive kingship. Here is a man, Jonathan, that valued his friendship with David more than the seat of a king. And for Jonathan, it was never a question of king. It was a question of friendship. A detailed plan had been laid out for him to be next in line. Now David says, you're my friend. I just need you to preserve my life. It takes incredible character to be willing to give up something that should have been yours to recognize there is someone better suited for the task. Jonathan knew that about his friend David. And to have a friend that is willing to push you up instead of pull you down. David had a brother in his corner. How many of you have a brother or sister in your corner? How many of you have pulled away from community? You, must, you, you once had it. How many of you are pulling away again from community? And God has given you gifts, abilities that you're supposed to give away, not go to the bench and leave in reserve. How many of you have made willful choices to pull away because you think, I've spent enough time with that person. I've spent enough time there. And all the while, there might be someone that is coming for the first time that needs your investment. We are here to serve others. And the way we do it is in community. Your greatest strength is not when you can prove that you don't need anyone. Your greatest strength is when you no longer prove that you can do it alone. <laughs> That's a good word, by the way. Listen, you might have all, right now, you might be justifying everything that you're doing. I'm asking you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. Isolation is Satan's playground. When you are alone, he does his greatest damage. Do you realize suicide stats over these past two years? Do you know what two groups of people has grown the highest in? At the top of suicide, the greatest increase is with men. Men. Because of isolation. We are built for community. We are built for brotherhood. We are built to do life together. Do you know what the next group is? Teenagers. Suicide has grown amongst teenagers, and it's grown amongst men. We need each other. 
We need to do life together. So they need a plan. Look at the plan that's put into place here. Look at verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant, it says, with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him. He loved him as, as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon feast. You will be missed because your seat is empty. The day after tomorrow towards evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone, Ezel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here. Then come because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discuss, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. They devise a plan. David is supposed to go and set at this feast. He doesn't show up. And so he says to Jonathan, if, if your dad is mad, let me know because I know he's after me. Shoot three arrows and the plan is devised, let me know by what we say if he wants to kill me or not kill me. And we'll soon find out that Saul, the response after shooting these three arrows is, David, you need to run because Saul wants to take your life. Arrows and a special word were spoken. Verse 23 reminds me of verse 4 when Jonathan said, whatever you want me to do, I will do for you. Isn't this true? When you know who is with you and you know who you are with, you can face whatever is yet to come. Amen. When you know that, ladies, let me ask you a question. Do you have that kind of friend in your corner? I'm not talking just your husband, which should be your best friend. I'm talking about female with female pouring into another female. I'm talking about older women pouring into younger women. I'm talking about relationship, all the ways here at Grace that Natalie has reduced the circles that you can walk into so that you can give your life and build community. We strategically have these systems at place at Grace so that you can reduce your circle together. When a follower of Christ is in your presence, the light wattage increases. Isn't it great when you're with another believer? David felt strong when Jonathan was in his presence because God was with them. And the light was brighter because two are better than one. Light pushes back darkness. Listen to John when he wrote this in 2 John, only one chapter in 2 John. In verse 12, he said, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink, he said. I put quotes, Facebook and texting. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. John even said, I could put it on paper and ink. I could text it. I could face time it. But I want to meet face to face with you so that our joy may be complete. There is power in your presence. 
There is power in gathering. At the beginning of our sabbatical, my sabbatical in June, my stepfather passed away the first week, and the timing was so good for us, and I praise God for that. And as we gathered and moved our way back to Hagerstown, Maryland, and I preached at my stepfather's funeral, the family gathered an hour before the viewing began. And so, you know, you reminisce, you tell stories, and, and it was a sweet, sweet time to share the joys that we had with Andy, my stepfather. And while I'm standing there, an hour before the open viewing, I look in the back and I notice someone walking in. And this guy came walking in that I knew who it was. It was a friend that had lived a distance away. But he had read about the passing of my stepfather. And he drove the distance just to say, Jim, I just want to let you know, I wanted to text you, but I wanted to let you know face to face, I'm here for you. He gave me a hug and we prayed and he drove the distance away. That moment, his presence was powerful. Why? Because it was face to face. It was hug to hug. It was eyeball to eyeball. And while the text and all that comes with that are beautiful, there's something powerful in the presence of another human being in your face. Am I not true about that? God has designed us to live in community. Belonging in community carries a substantial responsibility, and it requires hard work. That's why most don't get in community, because it, no, it requires responsibility. All of a sudden, when you pull away from groups, there's no responsibility. There's no accountability. That's an easy track to run. And while you're doing that, the enemy is there to wait on you because you've pulled yourself into isolation. Community requires hard work. Watch what happens in this account. Here's the plan. So verse 24 says, So David hid in the field. And when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan. And Abner said, Set next to Saul. But David's place was what? What your, your Bible say? Was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was what again? What's your text say? Empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. It says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, David? to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me. He must die. Imagine the plan that's in place. 
Jonathan has rippling effects of emotions that are happening at this moment. Saul wants to kill David. Jonathan has to notify his friend. Imagine the pain that Jonathan must have felt at this moment because he knew this might mean the end of their friendship forever. Because he could not be near David because his father would take his life. Jonathan is showing us what real friendship is, trust and selflessness and integrity and time. And if you look at the rest of the text, it says he went out and he fired the arrows to let David know, run, David, run. My dad's going to kill you. Imagine the pain they felt as they parted ways. David learned some valuable lessons as a leader that most never do. He learned to never walk alone and that two are better than one. And your best life is done in community with others. I can't imagine all the connections I have if I weren't part of them. Next Saturday morning, I'll be driving to Valparaiso after a midnight gathering that night for Fight Club. It makes for a long day, but that's okay. We'll be burying a brother, Greg McConnell. And you might not know Greg McConnell, but he's been a Fight Club leader for four chapters. You see, when we began Fight Club many, many, many years ago, there was this group of men out in Valparaiso that were longing for community and relationship and friendship. And word got on the street, and a contact was made with me from a man that was leading ministries in Valpo. And this group of men came and joined us in our second chapter of Fight Club. And because of that, this ongoing relationship with this group of men who four small churches in the Valpo area continue to come. And because of that, there are leaders that come. And one of this, these men is Greg McConnell, who because of friendships and relationships has grown tremendously. And I watched it personally. He died this past chapter, and it was a sad, sad day to see a good friend go. He's going to be buried in National Arlington Cemetery. He has served our country well. I'm driving up there just to say, man, to his wife, I'm here because your husband was here for me. Friendships happen in community, doing life together. I wonder if you're that kind of friend or if you've pulled to the bench and you have all these gifts that God has given you. Hear me out. My Bible and your Bible says if you don't use your gifts, you'll lose your gifts. We're not meant to sit on the bench. We're meant to do life in community. When you surround yourself with great people, it elevates who you are. Proverbs 13.20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good character. Your best future is waiting for you in your deepest relationship. My greatest friends are because I spend time with them. I have gained some of the most incredible friendships in the groups that I'm connected with. I have men that would... They would fight for me, and they would take a bullet in the head for me. And I would do the same for them. You see, my hope and prayer as we move forward is that we do not forget the importance of gathering together. 
You see, I fully understand the short-term importance of virtual community and work hard at staying connected. But I long for the days when people came together without the distraction of a screen. I long for the future being a place where we saw during lockdown how good it was to slow down. Do you remember? Do you remember when all we had was each other? Do you remember when we couldn't run to other places and we had family and we, and we got to know our kids? Do you remember when families actually sat at the dinner table together for weeks on end and the word that went out, how good it was? Have we forgotten how important that is? How many of you are spending more time through drive throughs because you're chasing kids and following kids and grandkids instead of eating together? Have we not learned the value of supper time and togetherness. Time is a commodity that can't be saved. The only things that last forever are the word of God and people. Paul tried to describe this when he said some things are of value. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, he said all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. There is nothing wrong with virtual for a season, but not as the primary means towards worship and relationship. But while it's okay, it has its limit, and it's impossible to build up forever virtually. It's been hard on everyone. Let's just look back. It's been hard. It's been difficult. And the truth is this, we have much to learn and we have more grace to give. People are frustrated. People are angry. <laughs> have you ever seen such anger? They're disillusioned. We need to give grace to each other. Let's be people of grace. Everyone is trying their best to make good decisions. More than ever, people need to see the love of Jesus in us. My fear is that we'll lose or we've lost our mission in the mess. The foundation of our faith is built on grace. The Bible is, is a witness, is not a witness to the best people making it up to God. It's a witness to God making it down to bad people. And aren't you grateful for that? For people who think their good grace is frustrating. For people who know they're not, grace is freeing. Real life community continues beyond the grave to the next generation. One of the primary reasons I enjoy friendships and relationships, and I look at faces out here, I'm looking at people that I know you well, and I know you got my back. But that didn't happen just like I saw you. I spent time with you. Some have isolated, some have pulled away. My greatest friendships happen in community, brotherhood. And you get friend insurance from that. You know, I will die one day. Praise God, because I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and if I go before my wife does, here's what I know because of the friendships I've gleaned through community, that you'll look after my wife. And that means a lot to me. It'd be even better than life insurance. You see, the friends that I have that I build in community by reducing my circles like David has with Jonathan are priceless, priceless to me. 
but it takes hard work. I have no doubt that men will sweep in and make sure my wife is taken care of. Let me ask you something, men. Are you pouring in or have you pulled away? Are you leaving your wife hanging because you haven't vested in friendships because of one reason or another? This story is beautiful because what Jonathan and David experienced here impacted the future. Turn over in your Bible to 2 Samuel and look at verse or chapter 9. Here's what friend insurance did for David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan are separated. In chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, it says this. David asks, is there anyone still left in the home of house of Saul as he was king to whom I can show kindness for whose sake? What's it say? Jonathan's sake. Friend insurance. Now there was a servant in Saul's house named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Ziba answered, the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel and Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. At your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father whom? What is it? Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may provide it for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Picture this. David walks over to the window as he looks across his kingdom as he's ruling as king. And he tells Mephibosheth, who is crippled, that he no longer has to live on Purple Avenue, Baltic, and Mediterranean, but he can have a suite on the blue spot of Park Place. You see, that is exactly what God does for you and me. He offers you Park Place, and you don't even have to pay for it. Just open up your hand and take it because you are part of the family of God. David sought out Jonathan's son because of this intimate friendship that he had with him. Can you imagine the scene, though? Picture this if you can. I've tried to picture it again this week. As it says that you can always sit at the king's table to eat. Picture hearing this sound walking through the marble floors of this incredible home. Clunk, clunk, clunk clunk the sound of grace and the crutches every time the dinner bell rang it was a reminder of grace from Mephibosheth 
as he came walking down the hallway. You see, grace lets you eat where the king eats. And how did that happen? Community, friendship, gathering, reducing the circle, joining a squad or a training camp team, being part of a group of people, brotherhood, sisterhood. The benefits of that relationship clothed him in royalty, and that's what happens with us with Jesus. Jesus goes with us wherever we go. It's a relationship built on love. Have you ever considered the love that we're given from God? No matter what you even think about him, God loves you. Think about this for a moment. You may hate God, but he loves you. You may not think he exists, but he still loves you. You may even doubt God. He keeps on loving you. You may have run away from God, but he kept on loving you. You may think you've done too much wrong, and he'll never stop loving you. We always get to eat at the king's table. There was a moment in the early stages of the pandemic that I believe God was trying to teach us something. That the most important thing we have as Christ followers is the chance to gather in community. I remember the first week back. I could hardly wait to get on stage after preaching five weeks to empty auditoriums. I remember the criticism and the pushback I got because we opened too soon. I remember sitting and pondering and asking, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? I remember looking out and missing you. I remember the song we played the week before we gathered back. Then I remember all the sporting events that were canceled, all the social gatherings that were canceled, I remember schools being canceled, going all online. I remember nursing homes filled with loved ones in isolation. I remember the six-foot distancing. I remember the no hugs and the no handshakes and the no touch. I broke that rule. <laughs> but have we not learned the lesson that God was trying to teach us? Have we just drifted back to our old patterns? You know all those things you used to tell your children about the importance of going to church and gathering in community? Do you remember those things you used to tell your kids when they were little? You should go to church, and you need to be part of that youth group, and you should join that team. And Listen, they're all still true for you as a 50-year-old and a 60-year-old. Isn't it interesting how we age that those things that were important that we would tell our kids no longer apply to us? Maybe just maybe you filled your life with pursuit of things again. Maybe you're working and working and working and working, and you're thinking money is the answer somehow, and I just keep needing to work in more overtime, more overtime, and God is saying, haven't you learned your lesson? Maybe you're missing out right now on the best life that God has for you because you haven't learned your lesson. 
Why are all our opinions so big and our learning so small? Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, I'll read it to you. says this. Just, just, just listen. Like, this, is, this, this isn't Jim. This is, this is just the word of God. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. You can't do it in isolation. You can't do it sitting on the bench. You can't do it separated. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We gather so that we can encourage each other. Encouragement begins by showing up, not stepping away. Real community happens together. You see, I remember green flags that we would wave. Do you remember? You could come in. I remember Duff coming with bleach. <laughs> it didn't do a thing, but I remember walking through the chairs. I remember us having four auditoriums, simulcast in three of them, so that we could gather I remember hand cleaner about knocking you over the doors. I remember a radio signal in the parking lot so you could sit out there so you could be safe and listen to the service. But the best community happens right here. I wonder if we've learned, though, what God was trying to teach us. Have we forgotten what it's like to not be able to be together? Have we taken for granted and just moved right back into pre-pandemic actions? It was good to come back. May we never cycle back and forget. As a reminder, we're going to close the service with a reminder of what it was like the week before. Watch this. I have a video that we released in Prayer Encounter on Wednesday night. Every time I watch it, I cry because I love Grace Community Church. And it means I love you. And these faces are a reminder of me of who Grace is. And I love the song that says, I want to go back to church. Watch this with me. Was a time that I swore I would never go back I was blind to the truth, didn't know what I had I was running, I was searching But every place I turned for healing Left me more broken than the last Take me back to the place that feels like home To the people I can depend on To the faith that's in my bones Take me back to a preacher in a verse Where they've seen me at my worst To the love I had at first Oh, I want to go to church Trying to walk on my own but I'm wound up lost Now I'm making my way to the foot of the cross It's not a trophy for the wind Shelter for the sinners And it's right where I belong Take me back To the place that
depend on To the faith that's in my bones Take me back to a preacher and a verse Where they've seen me at my worst To the love I had at first Oh, I wanna go to church We look forward uh, to next week. I, I look forward to that. And uh, in fact, it's going to feel like forever. <laughs> and uh, I just want to say thanks again um, for your patience and uh, thanks for the ways that you've jumped into all the online um, worship with Pastor Jeremy and our, our youth and our children's ministry and with Prayer Encounter and uh, I'm grateful that God lets me lead Grace Community Church. I think our best days are ahead. And I think God is teaching us things that, that are good for us. And I think we will do this well. I look forward next Sunday when I'm here and I get to see some faces, real people, because God has designed the church to meet together. That's where we draw our strength. That's where we get our corporate power. And that's where we love one another and do life together. Amen. So I close, I close with this. Think of all the reasons yes instead of all the reasons no. I'm asking you, connect. Please, let us not repeat. Let us learn. God gave us two years to learn. He wants us to do life together. Amen? See you next week. God bless you.